Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Welcome, everyone, uh, to our February Book Hub event. My name is Leanne Pomrenke. I am part of the Faith Lead team, and I will be your MC as part of this event today. So this event is specifically focused on rural ministry and what the situation is in that unique context. Um, we have a special guest leader with us today. Uh, John Anderson is the Director of Rural Ministry for Luther Seminary and works closely with Faith Lead. He will be our facilitator. Uh, John is a Bishop Emeritus of the Southwest Minnesota Synod of the ELCA and has been on staff with Luther since September. So welcome, John. Our uh, next panelist in the list you can see there. Oh no, now we've switched order. The next panelist on my screen is Sarah Cordray, a Lutheran pastor from Syracuse, Nebraska. Her Doctor of Ministry work has led to several articles for us on the Faith Leader blog, illuminating some unique challenges and opportunities of small town ministry. Next, I see Brad Roth. Brad is a Mennonite pastor in Mound Ridge, Kansas. Although we are featuring today his book, God's Country, Faith, Hope, and the Future of the Rural Church, he also has two additional books forthcoming. So perhaps we will hear about some of the work that went into those recently as well. And our final panelist is Alan Stanton, a Methodist minister living in rural Tennessee. Uh, where among other roles, he is the executive director of the Turner Center for Rural Vitality at the University of Tennessee Southern. He is the author of the 2021 book, Reclaiming Rural, Building Thriving Rural Congregations. So welcome everyone to Cultivating Rural Ministry. And John Anderson, I turn it over to you. Thanks, Leanne. Yeah, we're really excited uh, for you to be with us today. And those of you who will listen by podcast later, we're glad you've uh, made time to join us. Uh, we have three different practitioners, researchers, and writers coming from various vectors talking about rural ministry, which is a broad category, but I think you'll find it helpful. Um, and um, in my history, our former presiding Bishop Mark Hansen used to say, that part of leadership, a key part of it is being a noticer. So we need to uh, pay attention to what we're noticing. And our first question is gonna come down that angle, but let me just set it up. So we know that there have been many discussions in our uh, communities in the last couple of years. It's been hard uh, in a lot of different ways. And we know that people have been getting frustrated with each other. We know that We've been watching resignations from workplaces and congregations as we get weary and we're deep in the season with the pandemic. And we're facing all kinds of changes in our culture. We're dealing with our, the racial reckoning of our culture and we're dealing with political polarization. 
but I'm gonna invite each of our three authors to reflect with us on this question. So what else are you seeing in, our, uh, in, in your ministry, in your research that might be noticed that's uh, significant? What's something that's got your attention that you wanna lift up for people in our podcast? Thanks, John. The first thing I've noticed in the rural ministry context I have been part of previously to the pandemic and in my current is that some of our rural churches feel discarded. They feel that they're not being heard or considered by various factors of our society. And I wanna just do a short illustration because I think it drives the point home. My first experience with rural ministry was my internship when I did a four point parish in Northeast Iowa. One of those points had a family that did consist of one fifth of the church. It was the Zumba family. So when the Zumba family invited me in the spring to the annual castration of the bowls, I knew I was welcomed and I was part of that church. I got excited on the day I arrived. I got to the ranch and daughter-in-law Betty Zamba met me at my car. She walked me to where Art was, another member of the church and also the large animal veterinarian who was doing the castrations. As I walked, Betty pointed to this area on the grass. It was this pink fleshy looking substance. Now, mind you, I grew up in Iowa, but I hadn't been to something like this before. Betty said as she pointed, be careful, Sarah, don't step on those. And then she added, you know, some people take these and make quite a dish of delight. Then Betty asked me, do you know what Rocky Mountain oysters are? I said to her, I do know now. I know it's a stretch, friends, but that's what I think a lot of our rural churches feel like in our context that were just discarded, discarded substance of our society and just pegged into certain personas where there's so much more to them. They're actually quite a delightful dish to be had and to be shared with our world. When I then was ordained and then went into ministry, my second call was another four point parish in the panhandle of Nebraska. And in that narrative of feeling discarded, my then parish administrator, Marilyn, shared with me, we just needed someone who could see in us what we couldn't see in ourselves anymore. I think that is what we are called to do, friends, is to notice, especially in these delightful dishes of rural churches that we are given, that they aren't discarded and they have incredible gifts to notice or to share. So that's the first thing I noticed. And the second thing that I noticed is that whereas the rural churches I have worked with in these communities have a strong sense of identity, a very strong sense of memory of history, a very strong sense of neighbor, they surprisingly have lost a sense of connection with each other, be it through the generations, other communities, and as John, you were alluding to, even more so now in this post-quarantine pandemic life and such a divisive time. Let me clarify first though, everyone, what I mean by strong sense of neighbor versus loss of connection. 
these communities I have been part of have such a strong sense of neighbor. For example, last summer at our county fair, one young dad was injured in a freak accident of a cow pulling him through the reins to hitting his head on concrete. He was severely injured and still goes through major medical deals now. Within a month and a half, our community had such a strong sense of neighbor that in that fundraiser, I know many have experienced these before, our community fundraised over $200,000. That's a strong sense of neighbor. However, I experienced that so many are very disconnected from each other. When I did my research with my D-men at Luther, we named these and discovering what are the disconnecting points between us, especially in our congregation. In our qualitative data, we found out that it's simply because many drive and commute to different locations for work. Many are part of cliques or coffee talk time. Many experience people saying one thing at the church, but then experience a different type of person downtown later. This is a hard one to hear. That was part of our qualitative data. Arrogant pastors. And then this one has stuck with me very clearly. When our church was trying to be all things to all people, we lost ourselves. And our quantitative data, this was very truth-telling to us and one we have to still wrestle with. Those who were disconnected, less connected with us, lower income, lower educational level, and our members younger than 30 years old, and our members who did not grow up in this church who have been members for less than 20 years. But could it be everyone that in the midst of feeling discarded and disconnected, that these rural churches really have a gift already within themselves that can sustain them and to carry them through such times, even of what we have been handed out? That I wanna propose everyone is the gospel of the small, which I'm gonna share in the next run through of the panel. Our next uh, conversation or question that we wanna circle around is uh, our God is a creating God and God continues to create. We live in a time where uh, we're experiencing accelerated, everything is accelerating and time seems more and more tight. The church is working on faithful innovations and people often report they're feeling tired as we engage uh, pastors and ministers as we talk to them at the seminary. So my next question is, uh, what actually sustains church leaders and congregations in the midst of the many challenges? And, um, and what are the opportunities for development and innovation? So what actually sustains church leaders and congregations in the midst of all this challenge and the opportunities? And, what are things that sustain us so that we can engage in development and innovation the way we want to? I want to define what I mean by that of a gospel of the small. That's what we have as rural congregations, and it's quite great in what God does. A gospel of the small is the good news that God takes that which is small and multiplies it for God's greatness, for the sake of God's kingdom come on earth. And I know you're going to ask John about scriptures later, but I'm going to jump it in now. Um, that gospel of the small is so prevalent to us through the scriptures. Dan Anderson at Luther uh, brought it forth to me. He looked up small once 
uh, in the Bible and 90 times it's matched with the word great. And some of those are a small mustard seed grows into the great bush where the bird makes the nest. A small baby is born that brings the gift of salvation. And Brad, as you just shared, the small boy brings the, the small lunch and Jesus brings forth that greatness to feed. So we began playing with that of what if God is really right? What if it's not about the big programs, the big recovery plans, and hence a question of finances, because there's not a lot of program money, especially when I was in my four-point parish, there's not a lot of money for the big wig silver bullets. Instead, we went with what we had. And so we took that gospel of small into small acts of conversation and listening. So we actually entered into a time where we did interventions. And we put a small act of conversation and listening in everything we did. We did halftime conversations when we had one from the eight o'clock, one from the 1015, get together in the time in between and talk to each other. Uh, God's work, our hands. We made sure there were get to know you questions about self, family, and faith. We actually went out. Those who had disconnected or left the church for some reason, we went and did interv uh, interviews. And we did incredible events where we were trying to raise some funds for getting lifts into an old building that didn't have handicap accessibility. But when we went forth and asking for help, we did it in these conversations. And ways this has grown has been in mentorships with new members, our confirmation youth, and we actually have now something we call spiritual sponsors, where a lot of our older souls are matched with a high school youth. Through all of that, everyone, what we found out was I'll be darned, God was right. God was absolutely right in the stories of the Bible. The small acts of conversation and listening moved us. And in fact, they shifted us into a new way of living and behaving, what we call today adaptive change. And it was no longer, I'll describe this picture, it was no longer when someone disconnected from our cycle of life, they're just out on their own, and we just left them to their own vices to come back and be part of us. But we actually did what we're called to do as disciples, to go out to. And so when going out to, we then embraced a new way of life, accompanying and accompanying those disconnected ones for those disconnected points back into this life cycle that we had. That was what we got through part of our data, but what was really exciting to us, we are a rural community by a location, Lincoln, Nebraska. So we have many young people moving to our area which is an opportunity that not all rural areas have. But those who grew the most in that sense of connectedness, members of the church less than 20 years old, they grew up other than Lutheran, and those who were 30 years or younger. We knew that through the pandemic that these intentional acts of conversation listening actually prepared us as acts of discipleship where we knew exactly what to do when we went into shutdown. We just had to do it differently. And we also started doing that work again last summer when we were able to be together with each other quite a bit more. As I learned through a conference I was part of the last few days, it actually has shifted where we about a third of our people are gone right now. 
we've got work to do of what it means to go find our disconnected ones and bring them back into this life. And just a word I wanted to add everyone, what really profoundly shaped me, especially talking about innovation where there's not a lot of money, there's not a lot of staff, was Dave Dalbert's work. I really appreciated him when he set it up, uh, be who you are, use what you have, do what matters for Jesus sake. That's exactly what we did. We were who we were and we used what we had and that was the gospel of the small. The theology of the small is interesting. It reminds me uh, of our theology of the cross as well. Uh, we, uh, we actually have a theology that addresses times when we're really in a lot of trouble and uh, that God shows up uh, in those times. And that's great uh, gospel as well. And I heard this theme about developing relationships inside of your uh, conversation. I don't know how other people are feeling. I feel starved for relationships. I, I can't wait till it's warm and I can just sit and visit with folks again. So our final question that we're gonna work on is, we wanna have our uh, panelists talk about a time that uh, God surprised them with hope. Uh, what's, uh, what are your sources of hope in this time? In scripture, in our tradition, maybe in particular human beings God has placed around you or in your communities that have encouraged you in your small town and rural ministry, or, I, I like to think I'm trying to throw a nice, slow softball that you guys could hit wherever you want to hit it, or how has God expanded your imagination uh, and given you hope as you do rural ministry? I want to first address uh, Sue Lynn's comment, because then a few other comments came through too about overcoming the notion that it's the pastor's responsibility to reconnect. I want to challenge you in your verbiage that it's not overcoming, but it's embracing the both and. Uh, for what we found out is that in that cycle of life, I get to be with our leadership, our council and our committee chairs and our staff spinning out this uh, accompanying leadership. And that does also mean that as incarnation is pivotal to our theology here, that I am walking the walk, talking the talk as well, right with it all. And so I am out doing my visits. I am making connections. So I just say model, model, model. But here's where the both and really comes into some beauty. When people in my experience have disconnected and have found themselves out away from the life of the church, not coming back to worship, I often find that the message from the pastor drives different souls to a reaction of shame. And usually that's not responding back. And that has been my place where I get to hook in these other souls and say, I need you because my office carries and drives a reaction that we don't want. And so um, I also want to add to that, Ken put in there and bless you, Ken, for bivocational, because that's a reality that I believe will come more and more in our rural setting. Uh, having such limited time, oh my gosh, these connects, I do them through Facebook Messenger, text, uh, being at the games and the events in our community where I can hit four or five people at one time in a quick connection because I can see them out there. For me, it's been just remembering every small bit matters and that that did get spun out. I want to 
gives me hope and story of that. Um, congregation in that point parish in the panhandle um, I was in the midst of doing my work uh, with my demon and was very excited of course in the missiology that we were doing so this congregation we did our work and remembering their identity as a child of God body of Christ uh, they had no mission statement so they and luckily this was the spirit I was not at that council meeting came up with this gorgeous statement, cultivating fertile soil for God's word to grow, bringing forth the kingdom. And they ordered it in huge letters and put it up on the back of the wall where nobody could miss it. I mean, it was across left to right, which was so beautiful. And then they entered into an experience. And in actually in hindsight, I see that it was really a God-given experiment for them to live into this. Um, I appreciated Alan lifting up in his writing that all we have to do in our small towns is to drive down the street to see the socioeconomic disparity. And that was the truth for this town as well, too. That was a reality where so many of my souls said, well, these people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They just need to. And we had a preconceived notion of them. The experience that came into us was a table of Grace Mobile Food Pantry. This man, Tim, a dear friend of mine, had seen in a nearby town, Sydney, Nebraska, that Walmart had all this food to discard weekly that they couldn't sell, but it was still good food. He had set up five different locations where this mobile, mobile food pantry would get to come. Our church got to host one of those sites. And that became the experience. Now pause there for a second, everybody. I really appreciated one person in the chat said address death and life. There was a part of this church that had to die before. And you're going to laugh at the example, but it's so real. I want you to step back with me a year in my time telling of this story. A year when this church just got brand new carpet and their fellowship hall and their sanctuary all was one flowing together. My husband and I, he's a deacon in our church, we had just done the work of reviving their Sunday school. They just did their first Sunday school program that they had done in years. And afterwards, we were eating cupcakes. And then, then my two-year-old daughter had one of those cupcakes and was dropping crumbs as she was eating it, as she crossed right in front of Art. Art looked straight at me and he scooped up a few of her crumbs and said, look at what she's doing to our new carpet. I thought to myself, if I wasn't your pastor, I'd never come back to this church again. Now return with me, everyone because God took care of a death there for us, that way of life. You turn back with me now to this experience that we got in the table of grace. Once a month, they would come and be with us. We would then open up the divider between the sanctuary, the fellowship hall. We would set up all the tables. And then we had our community souls who were in a lower income come and have food. And this is what happened. Janet, she noticed that those who were quite humble to come out in front of their neighbors coming in humility of poverty, she noticed that these neighbors wouldn't look at her in the eyes. So she would greet each one and she'd point to her eyes and she'd said, look at me here, look at me here. 
And she said, you are welcome here and you're loved. And then Marilyn, who I quoted before, she said, it's like we get on holy ground when we're in this food pantry because you realize how these souls have had to humble themselves coming out in front of us, their neighbors who have made judgments. And then I realized I had to humble myself too because I had to let go of my sin of those judgments. She said, it's like God just intersects in that humility and creates this holiness. And she said, and then we sit down and we have conversations, those small acts of conversations. But let me tell you about art to everyone and then my story will be done. Art loved to set up for this mobile food pantry. You remember the new carpet and we set up on it on the new carpet. When we were there one Wednesday before, because it happened on Saturday and Art was setting up, I just jumped in and I was helping him out. He needed a break. So he and I sat down for a little while and he started telling me, pointing to the areas of our setup saying, right there, that's where Shirley, and Shirley was in her late 80s. That's where she likes to hand out the frozen foods. And Cooper, he was one of our four-year-olds. That's where he likes to do the veggies. And he went on and on with people. And I said to him, you know what, Art? You know what this is, right? And forgive my language, but I have to say it because this is art. Damn it, Pastor. I know. You were right. It's God's kingdom right here. And now thinking reflection, I like to say God's kingdom right here on our new carpet. Thanks be to God. That's what gives me hope in the gospel of the small in these rural congregations because God's kingdom breaks through. I want to invite you to next month's uh, book hub event, which fits with our theme in March of emotional intelligence. It is going to be writing as wonder, slowing down, paying heed, and taking notes. It's a little bit of a different twist for us. We have two poets joining us, and one of, the, one of them, the book, is uh, Words and Images. Uh, they are going to lead us, uh, Samuel Rayberg and uh, Vic Klamoski. They both turn to writing to understand the inner movement of the spirit and how it challenges them to pay attention to everything. Participants in this book hub event will gain insight into that process and suggestions about how to trust their own writing as a steadfast companion in their own spiritual journeying. So this is for you. This is for lay leaders in your congregation. It is for pastors. It is for anyone who defines themselves as a church leader and would like to join that free offering uh, through the Faith Lead Learning Lab. I just wanted to invite you to look at the interest groups. There's one called Rural Congregations. And in that interest group, I curate articles about rural life in a very broad way. I mean, we have all kinds of rural congregations and communities. And uh, I'd love to have you join me in sharing articles that you think are important to uh, people who are doing ministry. And we're in the process of, uh, at Luther Seminary, of uh, working on something called the Faith Lead Academy, uh, which will uh, do theological education for everyday disciples, for people who are lay staff or important volunteers, or to continue to support our pastors. So you might want to watch uh, for the developments there. One final thing I wanted to say, some of you today may be here and you don't know anything about Luther Seminary and what we're up to in the Faith Lead Academy. 
And I just want you to know that what we're working on with Faith Lead Academy is broadly ecumenical. And what we saw happen here today with voices from many traditions sharing insights, that's the kind of space we're trying to create to better serve the gospel in Jesus' name. Video recordings of this will become available and we will post those in the lab. And because you've RSVP'd, you will get an email with links to those. It'll also be available as an audio podcast. So you could potentially play this with a group from your church and discuss it. Um, thank you, everyone. Go in peace, serve the Lord. <laughs>